Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin. Imagine you work at a nonprofit where the hours are long, the cause is so big that it can feel overwhelming, and the pay is less than what is available in the corporate world. But you believe so deeply in the idea of nonprofits that you decide to leave your job, which has been stable for a decade, to start your own business, partnering with nonprofits to increase the amount of good they're doing. And then, as you approach the date of this career transition, a global pandemic causes an economic recession. Would you still make the leap? Jonathan McCoy and Becky Endicott, a pair of CAS alumni, did. On January 1st, they left their jobs at the Integris Foundation to create We Are For Good, which produces podcasts and courses along with its four higher services in branding and design, storytelling and writing, and consulting. They started with a bang, debuting at number one on Apple Podcasts chart of nonprofit podcasts. They joined me, a former coworker of theirs from our days at the OSU Foundation, to talk about why they went ahead and made the leap, how OSU helped prepare them for success, and what they wish more people understood about the world of nonprofits. So I know the two of you because we all worked together at the OSU Foundation, uh, but for our listeners, obviously, they don't have that history. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what the connection is between the two of you. Becky, you got to take this. Uh, I'm like, John's the CEO. <laughs> you were there so first. Should... Don't you start with his historical who started it? Okay. So I graduated from Oklahoma State University in 2002. I had a public relations background, which I got within the School of Journalism Broadcasting. Um, also had a marketing minor and I had left OSU um, and really was trying to chase a job into the nonprofit industry. I had a bunch of internships and I just figured that the... Um, the mission space was was a better fit for me. And I eventually um, came back to Stillwater a couple of years after my first job and uh, took on the role as marketing director of the OSU Foundation. And that is where all of our worlds um, kind of collided. And this was like in 2004. So OSU was just starting to get some philanthropic momentum there of telling their story. Um, Boone had just made um, his stadium gift right before I had come. And um, it was just really exciting time to be at Oklahoma State. Um, and then one day we're hiring a graphic design intern and we're interviewing students largely out of um, OSU's graphic design program and this skinny little kid from Duncan, Oklahoma walks into the interview room and his portfolio is so good. I have not seen the level of talent that he was displaying in his student portfolio from basically any of the designers I'd ever worked with. And that is how I this met my awkward. friend, Jonathan McCoy. And he's currently hiding under a rock right now because he's so embarrassed <laughs> that I'm talking about him this it's way. It's really kind of Becky to say, but I remember, you know, being in the design school at OSU, obviously. And I remember walking in the Bartlett Center and my friends were starting to talk about what jobs and internships they were going to do. I had friends going to New York City and Austin and these kind of cool places where there's design happening. And I saw this lowly little flyer hanging in the stairwell. because you weren't there yet. It was Times New Roman (laughs) font. And it was like, we're looking for a graphic design intern at OSU's foundation. And I've always been drawn to nonprofits. And so I just... 
I think I wanted to go help him make a better flyer, honestly. <laughs> they do need help. They're using Times New Roman. <laughs> but um, Becky's giving me too much credit because I know I walked in without, you know, I wanted to have nice materials, but I was spray mounting paper together, trying to make myself look professional. I had no idea what I was doing, completely terrified to walk in. And I still remember that meeting because meeting Becky that day is definitely like a such a huge chapter in my life. Like we connected right away. We had a Duncan connection with Kyle. Becky's husband was from there, but we just really bonded over doing missional work, you know, working in a nonprofit and getting to use our gifts and strengths in that way. And it just kind of started from there. And I think we both got pulled really into the mission starting as an intern. And then I ultimately um, was offered a job there right after graduating in 2006. And we've worked together ever since. It's been yeah, like 15 haven't. years and John's like my little brother. And 28 days is about as long as we've not worked together, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Like the gap of time. But the beauty is John is now my boss. And so I love the full <laughs> circle nature of it that like at the twilight of my career, I say twilight, I hope I have 20 plus years left. You know, John's going to be the last boss I ever have, which is just really poetic to me. So yeah, you know, we got to be part of OSU at such a critical time and it it was a time that I grew up a lot personally and grew up a lot professionally and got to see the branding success campaign. So Becky mentioned Boone's stadium gift, you know, Boone's next gifts were, you know, dedicated to academics. And I think getting to be part of the marketing team of that was so formative and it just allowed definitely my head just to be blown of like what philanthropy can do on a huge scale. And I think when that happens early in your career, you just think that everywhere is like that. (laughs) You just assume that everyone is writing $100 million checks, which is crazy, you know? (laughs) But after that season, the campaign had launched and I knew Becky was wanting to move back to Oklahoma City to be closer to family. And Candace, my wife and I were looking to kind of start and move to the city and kind of start fresh and move outside of Stillwater. And this opportunity with Integris opened up and it was at a different, completely different life cycle than OSU it was at a place of being completely ready for a rebuild. So they were kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of a campaign. And so we definitely had culture shock walking in, um, but we went with a fellow OSU alum, Brad Walker. He welcomed us onto his team. And so we were given a lot of, you know, runway to really build something. And that was such a gift because we had this incredible experience and leadership of Kirk Jewell and the whole team at OSU Foundation. And then get to go to Integris and just usher, try to usher in a really transformational time for them. And so we've spent the last almost 10 years there until this summer when we jumped to start We Are For Good, which is a consulting company on the surface of working with nonprofits, but we just have huge dreams. We have a podcast that speaks to nonprofits and we are just here for the long haul to serve nonprofits in a really deep, meaningful way to equip people um, with tools to do the best that they can. So Yeah, we just really believe in the power of philanthropy and the fact that anybody can be a part of it. And the fact we think that it's so enriching to your life um, when you choose to kind of lean into kindness. And so our company, you know, has this business side of it, but I mean, it's really about running toward this kindness revolution that we're trying to create where people can embrace and be a part of something good in a way that works for them, whether that's giving, whether that's serving, whether that's um, finding a way to use your gifts and talents to benefit somebody else. Um, And and we are just here to lift up those stories and find um, nuggets of truth that are that are disruptive and innovative. um, So because we want to be able to take these missions uh, to as many people as possible to solve the world's biggest problems. 
So you mentioned you just started this. You, you both left your jobs, right? Your day jobs. This is what you're doing now <laughs> at a time when we're in a global pandemic, we're in a, a recession. That took nerve. I'll use the word nerve to do that. A level of insanity, for sure, <laughs> to leave your job of 10 years and start a company of which there is no playbook like what we're trying to do anywhere in the world. And yeah, I definitely think that we were thinking that at some point that we we were not anticipating quitting our jobs in the middle of a pandemic and just running toward this, but it has felt absolutely divine the entire way through. We are so affirmed in what we're doing. We're shocked by how fast the community has grown. And, you know, I, I think that people are just ready for something good right now. They, they're searching for something that's uplifting and positive and kind because the world is so rife right now with derision and, and hate on many levels and we're just very conflicted. And so we're trying to completely move away from that space and, and move into a more wholesome space where it's like, well, here's some people doing really cool things and here's how you can be a part of it. Here's how you can ignite it in your own community. And it's really just about inspiring people and getting them involved in whatever way makes sense for them. Yeah. And I would second that, that it does seem probably crazy on the surface. I've got two sets of twins, four kids in the house. Becky's got a couple kids. And so we're putting our life on the line for this business. We say it in a tongue in cheek, but it's something we felt so called to do. And it's something that we had been building to for several years mentally and logistically and all of the things to where we had really thought through and had built a plan. And I think that became more and more sharpened um, of just how we wanted to show up and serve this industry, which we feel like is just underserved and there's not enough resources and not enough people talking and connecting. And so we want to change that in the nonprofit world. And so what's funny is that I think COVID has ushered in obviously a lot of pain in the world and a lot of struggle, but there's been a lot of silver lining too, is it's kind of just put the brakes on everything for everybody, you know, and you've had a chance to reflect. And for us, it further refined that this is the next step. It's like, we're building something that is fully remote and that people can log in and be supportive across the country, whether you're at home or at the workplace. And it's like more than ever, you need ideas of how do we show up today? How do we serve today? And so it's kind of funny that that confirmed at the last step to be like, we're exactly where we need to be right now. And it just has felt such like a confirmation. Not that we don't work all the time right now. We're still a startup and we're trying to we're totally you know, figure things out and wearing all the hats, but it is like a complete delight. Like I, honestly pinch myself that we get to do it um, from our houses and with our families alongside us. So knowing the two of you, I, I knew you didn't do this on a whim, but was there any hesitation with the way it worked out? Was there any thought of eh, maybe we will wait and do this later? There really wasn't. Not for I, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the more fearless one of the group. And I, I love to be bold and um, I, I don't, I, I can't really explain it because I wouldn't say that um, I have a reckless personality, but I would say I have a bold personality and it, to me, I just felt all the signs were pointing in this direction and the stars just kept aligning on things that were pushing us in this direction. 
And, and, and I'm so glad that we did because it's just been a real gift to be able to kind of be a light during a time where people are floundering and they're scared and there's a lot of fear and there's nothing that can be controlled. So you can, we think you can control 40 minutes of three days a week. because that's what our <laughs> podcast drops of just knowing that you're going to hear something really good and positive up, uplifting and whether you take it and act on it doesn't matter as much as if it makes you feel good, then we've kind of done our, we've done our due diligence. Yeah. And I'll say for me personally, I mean, Becky was real confident in I want to do this in July, July 1, 2020. I mean, she's so specific. And for me, I'm the personality that could have kept pushing it off, you know, till the timing was right, until I felt right, until I had a good night's sleep or something. Like <laughs> I would have waited for that. But I'll say my rock in this was Candace, my wife, college of education grad. There you go. Woo woo. She really, I remember we were standing in the office and I had a job offer actually, another opportunity that would have been a great opportunity. And I was like, I really just, it feels like with everything happening, this would be secure and whatnot. And she's like, John, you cannot give up on your dream again. Mm. Like you have been, it's been on your heart. This is the moment. And it's like, if I don't like to have a contingency plan, cause you want to fight for something as if you don't have a contingency plan, but having that, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but at the end of the day, we could have a contingency plan. It's not like there's nothing to do. There's not like we don't have any skills that we could, you know, apply in a different way. It's like we do have a backup plan if we really needed it, but let's just show up and do it because we've just put it off for too long. And I feel like COVID again is one of those things that gave you pause to say, take that risk. I was just talking to some friends the other night. Like that's what I, that's what I took away learning from COVID is this is a chance to pivot. Everyone is, is stepping into the unknown. So follow those things that seem really clear because you can always pivot again. You know, we plan to pivot as we figure out this business. John, that was so good. That inspired me. Good, well, com good. good comment. We should talk more often. <laughs> we don't spend enough time together. No so nobody ever. Day. Right. And I, I don't want to oversimplify this because what you're doing is a lot more than just the podcast. But I think for a lot of us, the podcast is the most visible thing. And I know there's that great photo if you want to talk about that, when you found out just how successful the launch of the podcast had been. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell that story, John. So, you know, podcast world, if it's new to you, is that there is charts kind of like box office. And the funny thing is it's very cryptic. It's very Apple, even though I love Apple. Apple has never released. Here's the metrics to become He's dressed top. like Steve Jobs right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're in black shirts. What's wrong with that? Jacob's too. Yep. <laughs> so. But you know, they, they've never really broken down. Here's how you can be the top of the charts. But obviously we think it's probably about subscribers, about downloads. It could be about ratings, reviews, all these different things. So of course we're checking the charts with our release the first week. Um, we dropped the podcast. We had shared with our social media circle. We had have assembled somewhat of a list at this point. And so we are sharing through the list that week. And what's hilarious is the day of launch the chartable site like went down. Like it literally like wouldn't it refresh. And I'm like, seriously, like this is our moment. Like we just wanted to see, did we end up at 200th place? Did we end up at 75th place? And so I'd been checking it like religiously every hour and it still like stalled out. It didn't work. And oddly enough, we were recording at night, which we don't typically do. We try to be home and present with our families, but we had booked a, a podcast that evening to talk to somebody in New Zealand or Australia, can't Australia. Remember. Mm -hmm. Australia. And um, so it was late at night. And right after that interview was over, I of course closed the window and went to Chartable and it refreshed. And I just gasped because 
we had charted at number one in the nonprofit category and charted in the business category, which is just completely difficult to break into. And so what's funny is our producer, Julie, sits across the room and they're like, what is this reaction? And I truly don't even remember. I remember just like holding my mouth and Becky's reaction. Julie captured this picture probably because we were frozen for several minutes. People <laughs> asked, did you stage that? And I'm like, no, we didn't that stage it. Like we were legit shock. emotion of all these months and years of dreaming of doing this to this moment, you know, that happened. And so it was really fun that we got to be together at that. And mm-hmm. obviously sharing that news was really exciting too. Sounds like you were both just drawn to philanthropy, even from a young age, at least early in your career. Why? I just think I've always been moved by people's stories. I'm a writer by trade and my background, as you know, Jacob, and I have just always been so naturally curious about human beings. And we, John and I joke very often because his curiosity is always in a learning space or growing a business or, you know, reading how he can improve himself or the company. And me, I want to just sit down with either a good book or sit across from a stranger that I don't know and hear their story and just feel enraptured by it. And so, you know, the, the beauty of going to Oklahoma State was I had been afforded all of these internships in the summer. And so it was almost like the bachelor. I'm like dating <laughs> my career That's and awesome. I'm whittling things out and I'm saying, oh, you know, I'm a public relations marketing student. And I'm like, you know, I just don't want to do agency. And I tried a corporate internship one summer and it just wasn't for me. And I just felt it felt so much like home when I was in the nonprofit space. And it was, and, and, and at that time, I was coming right off of 9-11. I, I, was, I graduated the uh, summer after 9-11 and the economy was terrible. And I was not being choosy at that time. I was just kind of that, does anyone want to give me a job? I will do whatever I need to do. And luckily for me, my first job was at Science Museum, Oklahoma, which was Omniplex back mm-hmm. then. I still call it Omniplex in my mind. And it just allowed me to cut my teeth on marketing, on public relations, on um, media relations. I did a lot of print media and and it just kind of helped me come out of being green and this sort of starry-eyed student and ready to join the workforce. So, and then I just called randomly one day that said, OSU Foundation has never had a marketing department. Would you be interested in leading it? And I was I, I believe I said something to the effect of I'm 24 years old. Mm. Like, I mean, I was almost 25, but it's like, do they, do, are you sure? Do you know who you're calling? And, you know, fate stepped in and it worked out. And once I got into the, to this business, you know, cause it is a business, but to me, it was just a mission that I was so passionate about. I was a recipient of scholarships I had benefited from so many OSU programs when I was a student leader. And and so to be on the campus and be on the back end of making those things happen through storytelling, through the way we graphically represent something by video, I mean, launching a campaign, it was, I mean, that was just such a contact high for me. And it, it was something that I never wanted to leave. And I've just been a nonprofit purist my whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's, we talk about this a lot about people in the profession, but so many of us just fall into it. You know, I knew when I was looking for the internship opportunity, I just wasn't ever drawn to go use my gifts to like promote a beverage or like a chip (laughs) or something like that. I think I just intrinsically want to be connected to mission and purpose and not to 
downplay that every business probably has a mission that you can really get behind and values and all those things. But I just wanted to kind of use my gifts to further good. And at, a, at that young age, I didn't still even understand what that was when I started at OSU Foundation. It was there that I started to say, see, honestly, that I didn't want to just be in design. I wanted to be in the philanthropy piece where you can really help shape, you know, the gift giving and what kind of impact it can make process. So it really kind of broadened my scope. And it's almost like I went through a season of like, oh, I'm not a designer. I'm a fundraiser. I don't know what I am, but I feel like I'm now real comfortable with, no, I creatively solve problems in that way because I'm visually oriented or design oriented, but it's all for the good of advancing philanthropy. And I just love connecting to that cause and it sucked me in. I can't imagine being in a space that's not connected to that. Um, I love social enterprise businesses too. So I think, you know, businesses that have just a really strong ethical core B Corps, I think are really progressive. And that's something we aspire to be with We Are For Good. So I think you can accomplish that in the business world, but just really be connecting to the cause is what lights me up and I need to be lit up or I just kind of tap out. So mm. that's what drew me in and, and kept me there all these years. And this is an aside that we may cut, but <laughs> Becky, when you talk about um, hearing somebody's story, uh, it, it reminds me, I, of course, I'm a writer too, and I have been doing this now between uh, various jobs. I've been doing this for like 20 years. I always say everybody has an interesting story. They don't always know what it is. And that to me is one of the fun parts of my job, figuring out what is your interesting story. Um, and some people know it, they're great storytellers. And some people go, I don't know, I'm just boring. No, you're really not. Let's figure out why you're not. And I love that. There is no boring story out there. And I think, I think a lot of people make judgments against themselves that are just not even true. You know, yeah. I'm not a good storyteller. I don't have a good story. I'm not a writer. And it's like, we can all be listeners. And if we're leaned in and listening, then we can hear a good story. And frankly, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of what we say in philanthropy. I mean, if you're not asking for a gift, you're not going to be getting it. Mm. And so if you're not asking someone to tell their story, we're missing out on such an opportunity there. And they want to give to things that matter to them. And so people don't typically give, you know, a million dollars for things that they just feel okay about. So there's going to be a story of, of change, of impact, of healing, of you know, uh, salvation or something. I mean, I hate to be so dramatic, but sometimes, I mean, we've been in healthcare philanthropy for 10 years. We have seen where it has literally saved mm -hmm. lives, you know, in the, in the, when I think about OSU, I think about countless, I mean, thousands of students during our time who were able to break the poverty cycle by simply getting a scholarship that enabled them to get an education. There is power in that in healing. And that's what we really want to be a part of. And if you are someone who can sit down and simply just ask full um, questions that are kind and lean toward understanding and compassion. I mean, that I think the story just flows very naturally from there. And I say, you know, storytelling is not my natural tendency, at least in the written form or the yeah. spoken form. But even through podcasting, it's really opened my eyes to that of, and, and just watching Becky work. You know, she's so gifted yeah, at that. But I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying is that everybody does have a story and there's something to take from everybody and it really does help build empathy. And I do think empathy is lacking in our society at the moment. And if we can all lean into that and be quiet and just listen to each other with what we're actually saying or actually trying to say, 
um, so much more good could come about. So this is this process this year's taught me a lot about that. And so I think that's my takeaway there. And I think for some of our listeners, certainly we have a lot of listeners who would say, I think nonprofits are great, but I can't imagine asking somebody for money being a, a fundraiser. We get that all the what time. What is that experience? I mean, my response to that every single time is, it is my joy to be able to facilitate that conversation. And again, maybe it helps that I'm a little bit fearless, but to me, when I am walking in to a solicitation where I'm sitting down with someone that I know who I have worked to cultivate a relationship so I can come to understand their heart and help them understand what is needed. You know, if I, for example, you know, if I'm going to sit down with a family who had a baby in the NICU, you Mm. know, at Baptist hospital, that is such an, I'm not asking them for money. That's not what I'm asking them for. I'm asking them to help us fulfill a need that will serve families just like theirs Mm -hmm. to bring more hope and healing into the world. And so to me, I'm just there really as a bridge to get this person or this couple or this foundation or company, whatever it is, I just want to connect what they want to do to help somebody with the need that is in the hospital of which we have all of the talent, all the staff, all of the, you know, wherewithal to do it. We just need some resources to bring that to bear. And it is a powerful thing when you see that come together. And and I've seen it be incredibly healing in even terrible situations where someone has passed away. Um, and the way that people are able to overcome that and pay it forward to another family. I mean, that is just the best feeling in the world to me. And I think, you know, we we're just having this conversation today, actually, but I think something that helps tear the walls down from, from making that ask is just personally being invested in the cause. Um, and so that really helped me too. I'm not a natural person that wants to go ask people for money, but really channel it around a, is it something you have a passion for that's true that you can show up with passion and enthusiasm because you actually believe that it is going to do something meaningful And then secondly, if you have actually personally invested as a family or as an individual, like how much easier is it to just invite somebody to join you Mm -hmm. as opposed to asking them to do something that you're not actually bought in on? And so I think that's kind of a gut check. Um, That definitely made me more comfortable over the years of just, I'm I'm only asking and advocating for things that I personally believe in and I wouldn't do that any other way, you know? You both talked about OSU and and I I know that you uh, worked for the OSU Foundation what are your feelings about OSU now and did it help prepare you for your current success? I mean, definitely. It was definitely a time that I grew up. I met my future wife, had this incredible experience at the OSU Foundation. But I think, you know, as I reflect back, the time at OSU is all about relationships that I look back fondly on. It learn, You learn how to make relationships, how to make friendships. And those are what carry you through. I mean, sure, there's a lot of skill pieces that we picked up here and there. But so much of that you learn on the job too. But I think it's just about a season of life to show up and exceed standards. And that's, you know, part of the process and just learning how to relate and connect with people because that's what carries you forward. So I'm so grateful for my time at Stillwater. I don't feel like a, like a cowboy cowboy. <laughs> I'm definitely like an urban cowboy. <laughs> but I love going back to Stillwater. It is just so fun to be back and reminisce and be on campus. The energy is so fun to see the success that's happened even over the last few years since branding success, I think ushered in so much of that too. Like it is a, such an, a fun legacy to be part of. I mean, I, I would say the exact same sentiments is, uh, you know, we have 
the linchpin of our company is that one, everyone matters and you have to evaluate and treat everybody equally. And two, that community is everything. And those are like, if, if those are the lessons I learned in kindergarten, those are also the lessons that I learned at OSU too. And it was one of those first situations in my life where it was really about what you put into it, you got out of it. And I was heavily involved in, you know, uh, student leadership, things on campus. I was in President's Leadership Council. I was part of Pi Beta Phi sorority. And, you know, and it, and it just fostered an amazing sense of community. And you come to love such a large swath of people from all different backgrounds. And I think just the humanity that's that's presented in so many different facets, whether it's in class with your academics or whether you're going to a basketball game or you're in student alumni board or whatnot, it just gave me this lifelong thread of which I'm always connected to this area. And it's the happiest time of your life. I mean, typically when you go to college, those are the happiest years. And and I mean, John and I still say fundraising in higher ed, we still call it the land of milk and honey because it's so much <laughs> harder to fundraise for other uh, nonprofits because the experience is so warm and such a positive one. And so I just really appreciate that that OSU gave me that sense of community and, and it's and it's coming full circle now um, in the last three months for me. And I, I'm now reaching back out to all of my college friends and my sorority sisters and people I know saying, hey, you know, I know we're Facebook friends. I know we've been buddies for 20 years, but I just started this company and we believe community is everything. Can you help me be a part of my community by spreading, you know, this message of what we're doing with a friend? And and, and that to me is the cowboy culture is that you can ask somebody to do that. And people from OSU are so kind hearted that, I mean, almost a hundred percent of the time people say, absolutely. So you're still at the beginning of this, but I'm sure you've learned some things over the last few months and even leading up to this process. Do you have advice for any of our students about starting a podcast or really any type of a business adventure? I know you, Jonathan, have been doing, um, side businesses for a long time right yeah um, John doesn't like to sleep <laughs> I do like to sleep I just always have I don't know a vision of things you know and I love to like work toward those dreams and visions and stuff so this moment is real exciting just because it feels like a culmination of so many years of we call it playing the long game of just mm -hmm. having a vision of something that we want to create and it's, it just can't happen in a week and it can't happen in a year, even in our case, it's like we had to take, you know, literal steps over a long period of time. And sometimes it feels like you're not making progress, but just talking to this about this with my wife last night, but when you have a dream a goal, like starting a business or starting a movement or a podcast or whatever it is, you just have to get really honed in that every day you want to take a step in that direction. And sometimes it's a tiny step and sometimes it's like a giant step. Sometimes you have a meeting that you get off, leave the meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, that was such a huge win for this. But every day, if you're moving toward it, you're going to get there, you know, and deadlines are a great thing and community is a great thing to make it happen. Business partners in my case is a great thing. I don't think every business partners are for everybody. I think you'd be really careful about that piece mm -hmm. of it. But if you're aligned philosophically with the same values and have the same heart, and honestly, we've had a relational test for the last 15 years that we 
know how to work together. We know our trigger points and we know how to not trigger those trigger points. <laughs> and not very um, forgiving also. So, no. but um, I do think it enriches and honestly makes it a lot of fun to do it alongside somebody and to just kind of have somebody to, to bounce ideas off. Cause you're very much on an Island of like, no one else is doing this. Like you said, we don't have a playbook that we're following. We're also just figuring it out. So it's nice to have a community to bounce those ideas off of. When you're in a business with somebody that you trust and someone who you love and you love their family, it's like there's this common understanding of what what's okay to do. And we both agreed, you know, that we're going to try some stuff and we're probably going to fail. And that's okay. That's just a part of our story, you know, and that's a part of being a creative person and who's trying to change the world. So I, I really value that, that John embraces that. And, and I mean, we have so much fun together for anybody that's listened to our podcast. I mean, we, we, we are serious when we need to be serious, but we also like to keep it really light. And so we laugh a lot. And I mean, my advice to students would be, I just, I just love students so much in their fearlessness, especially, I mean, that age of like 18 to 22, 24, I mean, they are bold. Mm. And I would say, use that to your advantage right now. If you are interested in something, in a, it, it, whether it's a podcast, starting a business, trying to get a job, like you need to go and be bold and network. The Cowboy family is so nurturing. And I feel like if you reached out to a professional as a student who is an alum of our university, perhaps in your uh, area of study and, and said, I think this is what I want to do. Can I zoom with you? And can I have 30 minutes of your time to talk about what you think and where I should start? And I mean, what an easy 30 minutes of your day to expand your network, to get somebody who comes to know you. If they fall in love with you a bit, now you have somebody to put on your resume as a reference and, and they can also open doors. And so I just think that students can be bold in whatever they want to do and they need to find those opportunities and chase after them. And that, and those hustlers are the ones that are going to be the ones that succeed. Well, and I can tell you um, doing a podcast myself, three episodes a week is quite a commitment. <laughs> John you wanted are, to do five. I did want to do, I still kind of don't want to do five. One every day, one every weekday. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, and this, I'll, this is sharing a tip at the same time of like why we're doing that. But um, we, let me give a shout out. We could not do this if we had not brought on somebody that we brought on, who is Julie Confer. She is amazing. We worked with her at Integris and we just, she is a laser focused, um, perfect person for this spot that has, you know, the right brain to be organized with the left brain to be an excellent question asker and storyteller and people finder. And she's um, one of those bold 24 year old who totally. is fearless in what she does as our producer. I love that about so her. She is absolutely putting together the back end of the podcast that helps us be able to do it at that frequency while we are, you know, creating revenue <laughs> and consulting and doing the other things like that. Um, a tip, I would say the reason why we chose with this frequency is because we knew we wanted to create a movement over time. And we knew we were committed to the long haul, that we want this to be our legacy. Becky and I talk about this like this is our last job. So we're really in for this. It is my last job, John. No pressure. But I'm there's not having so one, many stories. <laughs> Someday maybe interesting. But, you know, we really had this idea that if we're going to build community, we need to just make a lot of friends. Because I feel like our network is big to begin with from OSU days mm. and from working in nonprofit but we just wanted to build that as like a snowball. And every day 
We're dropping three episodes a week. That is a whole new sphere of influence you get to be in front of. And so from us, it just really opened up doors in a really powerful way to think about compounding that, you know, compound effect is such a big part of how we think of just the small actions day after day. So doing that for a year, we're going to be in front of hundreds of different audiences. And so with our goal to grow audience size, it just made sense to do that frequency. So consider that if you can pull it off, like totally do it. We love doing it. So it's like life-giving for us. Yeah. And here's a hack for you. I don't come over to John's house, which is where we record our podcast three days a week at a certain time. We batch record. And so like we do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we did three interviews today. We did two or three, maybe on Tuesday. And so we're already, I mean, we dropped three a week, but we're almost two months ahead right Mm -hmm. now with what we're doing. So we can focus on other parts of the business once we get caught up in that way. So it's really not as overwhelming once you get process flow down. I know we talked about how fundraising can be difficult and not not something a lot of people think they want to do. What do you wish more people knew about philanthropy? Because I do think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there. Go ahead, John. Thank you. Do you have a thought? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have several thoughts, right? Um, from being on the inside of a nonprofit, I think you want donors to be, to trust, I guess, on one level. You've got a team of people there and you do need to do your typical checks and balances and you need to know who you're investing in the mission in, and all those things. But I do think, you know, I wish that donors realized that sometimes overly restricting a gift creates complication of what impact they could have. So if you can zoom out enough to realize what are you really trying to accomplish, especially for major gift owners, what are you really trying to do in this world and think creatively about that and work with your development team? I mean, that is a conversation that any development officer would love to have that is strategic. It's aligned with, you can align with the priorities of whatever organization you're working with but it doesn't just buckle them down into a very restricted purpose that gets hard to spend or really laborious to report upon or adds administrative time and cost. And so you want to think about those things because at the end of the day, what are you really trying to do? You know, so that's something. And I do think a lot of donors have that mindset nowadays, like it's an investor mindset of just what kind of outcomes am I trying to create? I love that. I have so many thoughts on this. I'll try to just be quick. (laughs) But I mean, I I think one of the things that I'm trying to debunk about the nonprofit sector is that they should be working for peanuts. Well, nonprofits are businesses. And if we want those businesses to succeed and be vibrant, wholly, you know, present contributors to our societies and to our community, we need to treat them like businesses. And so, you know, it, it is always just so disarming to me when somebody comes in and, and says, well, your salary shouldn't be X or, you know, and it's, and it's just, to me, it's no different than a business. You need to pay someone what you think they're worth. And for me, it was never about the salary ever. Yes, I wanted to have a livable wage. Yes, I wanted to be able to put food on the table, you know, but I'm there because this, this fulfills me in a way that a lot, most other things do not. And so I want to put that pin in that right there. But the other thing is, I think everybody needs to find where their community is and where they can tap in. You know, if you are someone who is, doesn't, is not naturally giving uh, to an area, and I don't just mean financially to a nonprofit, um, I'm just here to tell you, it will change your life and feel your soul to help another human being. And so I wish this was just a natural part of what we do (laughs) 
as, as getting up and going to work and having children and, and going to church. And I mean, all these things that seem um, very rudimentary for us. I wish service was something that was just as ingrained as all of those other things, because I do think that that is the thing that lifts up community um, it, it makes the world around us better. And if we're all kind of like picking up a piece, you know, there's less mess on the ground when we're all kind of cleaning it up together. And then you're kind of subscribing to this abundance mindset of there's enough to go around for everybody. There shouldn't be these disparities and people that are way below. We don't want to have kids that can't afford to go to Oklahoma State. You know, if you are someone who has a desire to learn and contribute something in this world, we don't want cost to be a barrier to that. Mm. Philanthropy can come into that space and you can be the catalyst by which that person can get to Oklahoma State, whether through your giving, whether because you're mentoring them, there's just so many ways to tap in. So that would be my challenge to anybody. Well, and that leads into a a question that uh, it's not too personal. What causes do you to support personally what do you give to or or support other ways ask that i love that you ask that you should ask us that we should be asking all of each other this um and i think honestly it's like changing too with the podcast because we have had the opportunity to talk to dozens of different nonprofits already mm -hmm. and we're such the type of people that get so emotionally invested i'll tell tell a funny story i mean literally we're on uh Zoom call interview last week. I'll drop their name because it's an incredible group, Guardian Group. And I would the Guardian would, Group out of Oregon. Clump them together in what I'm going to talk about in just a second. But Guardian Group, we were having such a moving interview. Becky like pulls out her wallet. Like I'm watching this out of the side of my eye, and she starts typing in her credit card and making it <laughs> in the middle of an interview, which is like just so funny. A monthly gift. That's a how month. inspired wow, I was. Right? I've never online before but in this the topic um, you should tell them what the topic is because it's something yeah. that most people turn away from and I was a little nervous about the topic before we got in and I'll say this to connect that of of that is this is what I feel really drawn to with this season of life is this organization is focused on eradicating sex trafficking mm-hmm. here in the United States and so his story his is a founder story he was in India and had this just real clear picture vision to come back and do this even though it's a huge undertaking. But at the end of the day, Jeff describes it as that they are here to complete that mission and then they want to go out of business. And I'll tell Mm -hmm. you, our personal philanthropy where we're putting more and more of our giving is in organizations like that. Um, This year, we've gotten to work really closely with Water 4 here in Oklahoma City. And they've been, I've been a fan boy of Water 4 for a long time, but to get to serve and to support them financially and, and involve our kids as well. It has like become my favorite from the point because they in a similar way exist because they want to eradicate the worldwide crisis. So they're, you know, not just building wells and leaving, they're building wells and training people how to be entrepreneurs and support those wells. So when they move on, it's a sustainable business that is feeding the economy and it's improving lives and changing the welfare. So that's where we're that's where I'm most excited to put our support. We give to, you know, a lot of the classic things too, just where that things that have touched our hearts and life, we um, really were connected to the hospital we worked at because it intersected our life in such a personal way that, you know, you want to give in a meaningful way to families that have endured the same, you know, challenges that we had. So those are some of my favorites, but the also, founders also, that want to eradicate are where it's at. They That's are, they are the innovators um, um, for nonprofit. And that is such a great 
thing to look for when you're giving. I'll just share one. And it is the smallest gift I've ever given to an organization ever because this is where they put their threshold. I give a dollar fifty a month to Humans of New York's Patreon group. It is the most powerful storytelling I've ever seen in my life. And it's just a man that walks around New York City and talks to people about their life. And it is this incredible humanity experiment where we end up finding stories, again, to your original point of people who have had either horrible things happen to them or they're fighting something. And over time, this community has grown so large and people are so leaned in to these individuals and the way these stories are told. We found, I mean, the founder put a fundraising component on it. And so he takes our $1.50, however, hundreds of thousands, millions of us around the world that are giving to this, and he seeds these people um, with funding, help them kind of get, you know, whether that's buying a tuba for a kid on the side of the road who's always dreamed of playing instrument but doesn't or or a mom's about to get evicted out of her um in and and provide nine months worth of rent for in utilities and I, to me there is nothing that makes me feel better than when i am scrolling through facebook and i'm looking for something positive i click on a of new york story i read something that's incredibly impactful and the top comment is from the founder that says oh and by the way we used 20,000 Patreon group to buy X to make this situation a little bit better. And it's like, gently, I'm connected instantly. I feel gratitude and I'm looking at the person that I just helped. I mean, that is a very powerful, impressive statement. And I do not miss a dollar 50 out of my own any month. Mm. So higher than that is also so up to me. I'd like to thank John and Becky for joining me. If you'd like to reach out to us with any feedback, you can email pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. Remember, there's no T in Pokes Podcasts. And with that, we'll finish with our favorite question, how do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? Just because it creates balance. You're having to tap into the left brain and the right brain. They're usually one or the other. And so I really value you know, at OSU, you could, I could have the science of what I needed to get. And I got a bachelor of science and most people would think I'd have arts because I'm a very creative person, but I, I went the, the science, you know, and, and more theory and practical knowledge. And we probably makes John laugh because I'm not very practical at times, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, nowhere else on campus, I don't think except for maybe architecture, are you using both sides of your brain to logically come up with what is maybe the business strategy. But for John and I, we don't think you can just have a business case. We have got to have space to creatively think about things, dream about things, um, it blows something out of the water in a very strange and quirky way that's unexpected that makes connection. And, you know, that was something I really valued about our time at OSU. Kirk Jewell was the OSU Foundation president then, and he gave us a huge runway to try so many creative ideas. And, you know, most people would would say, what were you thinking putting a bunch of 20-year-olds all together on a marketing team and, and giving them free reign. And I would submit to you that we had some of the most crazy off the wall ideas that stuck 
and that work today because we had people who believed in the ability to be creative. And so to me, I really love what the head and the heart and how arts and sciences brings those two together. And for us, we're able to tap into it in the social good space and it just feels good. Well, my answer is very similar to Becky's, but I guess my secondary bent to that is that, you know, I view this area as a hub of creativity, obviously, even on the science side that is experimentation and figuring out things, but obviously the visual creative side, which was my experience at OSU. But my big takeaway is that you can't just think about what you're, this degree you're getting in this zone. Like the world needs your creative beauty in all places. And of course, I want you to go to philanthropy because I feel like the nonprofit sector needs these kind of folks at all levels. Like you need incredible strategists who think very pragmatically and you also need people who are the most creative people on earth to go dedicate their life to a cause. And one of the rants that I get on is that I would love to see our generation invest more time at staying at a nonprofit. Um, So the stats are really horrible. If you look across the country, like people stay 12 to 18 months. One of our guests said last week as an average fundraiser, like we need people to be bought in. It goes back to the philanthropies we want to support that are bought into saying, okay, we can't fix all the problems, but what's a couple problems that you want to tackle or the one problem you want to tackle and put your creative energy in that, you know, because we need that and that nonprofit or that organization needs it and to show up in that way. And so I love that. That's how I feel. I'm going to go rogue here. Here comes Becky with Uh her bold question. Get ready for it. (laughs) I mean, I would even challenge like OSU or I would challenge universities. Like, how are we having this conversation about mission and social good? There, There are universities across the country, not many of them, but they have philanthropy schools. They have philanthropy or nonprofit degrees. Um, it's They're a department. Um, OU has one, you know, and it's extremely vibrant. I would love to see that at Oklahoma State University. I would love to see them partner with the Student Foundation, you know, who are the students on campus that are going out and living service and philanthropy. I mean, there's so many nuggets of how we could loop in our students with alumni to do good. I just think I would love to see that in the future at uh, Oklahoma State, and it will help normalize a lot of these things. And it's not something that John and I would have to teach, you know, so often because people are just doing it and they know it, and it's just a part of their value system. And let's go back to our key messages when we worked at OSU Foundation. OSU was started by the gift of land, right? As a land grant organization. So that's part of our fabric. It's part of our DNA. And look what happens through generosity, through philanthropy at any level. 